0: Today, let's explore the basics of the spinal cord and revise some fundamentals of neuroanatomy. It is all too easy to skip over these so-called basic sciences, but without this foundation, the already difficult topic of neuroscience becomes even harder. So today, let's briefly discuss neurons and see how these neurons are organised within the structure of the spinal cord. Let's dedicate most of our time exploring the physical arrangement of the spinal cord itself and try to lay down the key concepts that are important for clinical medicine. This is a slightly waffly way of saying let's look at the basic anatomy of the spinal cord. So let's start with some of the real basic sciences. Now, basic sciences are not basic at all. They just tend to be the science we learn very early on in our careers and as such can easily be neglected. So the term central nervous system refers to the nervous tissue found within the brain and spinal cord only. Everything else is therefore termed peripheral nervous system. And they are of course connected to and communicate with each other. Many neurology textbooks often use analogies of wiring and electronics when discussing neuroanatomy. And let's do the same thing here. In its simplest form, electrical signals are transmitted up and down wires to allow our brains to interact with the world around us. We of course receive sensory information in and send motor commands to muscles out. It just so happens in neuroanatomy we call these wires neurons. In the central nervous system, these neurons pass to and from the brain by passing up and down the spinal cord. They connect to other wires found in the peripheral nervous system which enter and leave the cord horizontally at certain spinal levels. Peripherally, we see multiple neurons, or wires, all bundled together, and we term these nerves, and these nerves are found only outside the central nervous system. However, some of the individual wires or neurons pass into the spinal cord to form connections with wires in the central nervous system. Interestingly, at the spinal cord, we see neurons also bundle together, but these are not called nerves, and instead they are referred to as tracts, but we will get to that. Right, now we've laid the foundations of neurons versus nerves, etc. Let's now consider the physical thing that is the spinal cord. The spinal cord is a tube-like structure composed of neural tissue that runs centrally through the body and is housed within the spine itself. It passes through the centre of the vertebrae through a hole or foramen called the spinal canal and as such a circumference is pretty well protected by it. The term cord comes from the organised manner in which neural tissue is tightly knit or connected together. The cord is on average around 40-45 to centimetres in length and its thickness varies and actually tapers as it passes distally. Maximum thickness around 1.5 centimetres high up in the cervical or neck area and as narrow as 1 centimetre in the lumbar region. The spinal cord begins at the end of the medulla oblongata and is continuous with it, however interestingly in adults the spinal cord does not run the full length of the spine but instead ends at the level of the first and second lumbar vertebrae, so perhaps ending much higher up than you thought. The distal end of the cord is termed the conus medullaris, and below this conus we observe the cord divides into individual spinal nerves forming a structure that looks like a horse's tail. Translate that into the classics and we get the name for this area, the corda equina, literally, horse's tail. Now, just as we saw in the brain, the spinal cord is housed and enveloped by sheets of connective tissue that we termed meninges. There are three layers synonymous with those found surrounding the brain the outer tough dura mater, just deep to this the arachnoid mater, and deepest of all the pia mater, which is tightly adhered to the cord itself. Between the arachnoid and pia mater, we again encounter the subarachnoid space, and as with the brain, here we find cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF. This fluid is continuous with that found providing buoyancy to the brain within the skull. In a turn of serendipity for medicine, despite the spinal cord ending at the L1 vertebrae, the dura continues the length of the spine, and as such the subarachnoid space inferior to the cornus medullaris acts as a reservoir or cistern for CSF. So, in the event of wanting to sample the fluid in the brain, such as where a bacterial meningitis is suspected, rather than poking needles through the skull, we can simply tap into the lumbar cistern. This needle aspiration procedure is termed a lumbar puncture, and to ensure safe avoidance of the delicate neurons in the spinal cord, the needle is passed between the L4 and L5 vertebrae, where it simply displaces the spinal nerves of the cauda equina. Now, the last ideas I wish to introduce you is the idea that the spinal cord is segmentally organised. There are 31 segments, which are demarcated by horizontal connecting spinal nerves. There are 8 cervical, 12 thoracic, 5 lumbar, 5 sacral, and if my memory and arithmetic serve me well, 1 coccygeal segment. Each segment is given an abbreviated version of this, such as C1 or T2, providing a precise location. Now for an important concept. Peripheral nerves use the spinal nerves to enter or exit the spinal cord, and some nerves divide to use multiple levels to access the cord. Each peripheral nerve is given a root value the highlights where it passes from the spine. Let me give you a famous example. The phrenic nerve has a nerve root of C3, C4, and C5, meaning its axons leave the spinal cord at cervical segments C3, C4, and C5, which, as the mnemonic foretells, keeps the diaphragm alive. Now, this bit of knowledge is really clinically relevant. Where a spinal cord injury is suspected, we can identify which nerves are weak, whether that be a sensory deficit, a motor deficit, and as such, using their nerve root values, we can find an exact location where that spinal cord may be injured. Pretty cool, right? Now, I know my buzz is gone, but I need to finish this one last part. Finally, looking at a transverse segment of the spinal cord, we see the cord itself is organized into white and gray matter, just like in the brain. But unlike in the brain, white matter is located peripherally, and this is where myelinated axons or neurons pass longitudinally up and down the cord. These are organised into bundles or tracts that group together wires that serve a similar function. At the centre of the spinal cord, we see the butterfly-shaped grey matter, where neuronal cell bodies and synapses are located. Here, peripheral and central nervous system literally connects together. We'll do a much deeper dive into white and grey matter along with spinal tracts another time. In summary, our bodies have a tube of organised neural tissue called the spinal cord that is housed in the spine and connects the brain with the rest of the body. It's shorter than you think and can be divided into spinal levels where spinal nerves leave and enter the cord horizontally. Every nerve has a root value and we can use these values as coordinates to identify the location of lesions. I've been Chris Summers and I will catch you next time on Dissectable Me. We're always going to run over on neuroanatomy.